Thanks, Johnny. Uh, please keep your Bible open there at Proverbs chapter 2. We'll also be in chapter 3 this morning, so having that in front of you will be really helpful for you. Um, so continuing on in our series in Proverbs called Get Wisdom, Eternal Wisdom for Everyday Life. Uh, as a father uh, with two younger kids, I'm not quite there yet, but as I listen to parents uh, with children, children who are kind of flying the nest and making their own way in the world, there are often two, two things, there's maybe many things, but two big things that uh, they wrestle with as their kids make that transition. They're no longer able to protect them in the way that they once were, guard them, and they're no longer able to be able to help them make decisions in the way that they once did. They're not with them as much. They're not able, they, they wrestle with being able to guard them as they make their own way and being able to guide them as they make their own way. Well, Proverbs 2 and 3 this morning, Proverbs chapter 2 and 3, are a father preparing his son for those two things. As he grows up and makes his way in the world, it's a father preparing his son for the, the dangers that are out there in the world and the many decisions that he will face on his own. And he points his son, not to his own wisdom, but to the Lord. He points him, his son to the, the Lord's wisdom to, to navigate those two things. In a world of dangers, God here offers us in these two chapters wisdom to guard us, to protect us. And in a world where we're faced with different scenarios, often difficult scenarios, God offers us wisdom to guide us in those things. How we deal with those two things, the dangers and the decisions, are not just matters of everyday life. They're not just things that will impact how our everyday life turns out. But as we've been seeing in Proverbs, they also impact our eternal life, where our destiny will be. The good news, though, is that God gives us the wisdom that we all need, not just children, that we all need if we seek it. And, and again, what is wisdom? We defined over these last two weeks. Wisdom is this. It's knowing how to, to live out God's Word, this book. It's, how, it's knowing how to live this out in all the, 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 difficult, the, the different scenarios we will encounter in God's world. It's knowing how to live God's Word out well in everyday life with eternal life in view. So if you're a Christian here this morning, as Christians, all of us, we need to be guarded. We need to be guided. Because though we are in Christ, and though we are secure in Christ, we still walk a narrow way, don't we? We still not walk a narrow way where there are dangers, there are temptations, there are many decisions that we need to make. And how we respond on that narrow way matters. It really matters. As a church, as a community of believers, we are called to guard and guide one another. We're called to help one another on that. We're called to help take God's wisdom and apply it to one another's lives on that narrow way. We need to know how to do that. We need to know why we need to do that. So we've come to Proverbs 2 and 3, not just with our own lives in mind, but with the lives of those in the seat beside us. Maybe you're figuring out what it means to follow Jesus. Proverbs 2 and 3 show us that without God's wisdom, without God's wisdom, without that fear of the Lord, we cannot navigate this world. We cannot navigate life in this world, especially given its dangers and our own foolish desires. So what we're going to see this morning is this. Get God's wisdom to guard and guide your life. 
That's why Proverbs 2, that's what Proverbs 2 and 3 is teaching us this morning. We need to get wisdom. That's the big theme of the series, but we need to get wisdom because Proverbs 2 and 3 tells us we need to be guarded and we need to be guided. So the first thing we see this morning together is this. When my heart treasures God's wisdom, I will be guarded. You look down at verses 1 to 4 in chapter 2. Uh, we see that if we want to get wisdom, if we want to live in God's world well, then we must seek it. Verses 1 to 4 describe how we're to search for that wisdom. Treasure my commandments. Make your ear attentive. Incline your heart. Call out. Raise your voice. Okay, last week, remember, uh, uh, Lady Wisdom was shouting in the streets. Okay, we need to shout back. We need to call out to her and say, give me the wisdom that you're offering me. Okay, you know, it's not just a little kind of, you know, yeah, that sounds good. Can I, have, can I have some of that? I need this. Call out for wisdom. Incline your heart. Raise your voice. You see here in verses 1 to 4 that getting wisdom is an, a whole person thing. It takes all of us. It's our ear. It's our, it's our voice. And most importantly, it's our heart. We are to incline our heart. In the Bible, the heart it's not the organ. It's the center of our affections, of our thinking, of our willing, of our doing. We want to be wise if we want to change, then our hearts must be inclined to wisdom. We see here in verses 1 to 4 that this is an urgent thing. It's an urgent thing and it's valuable. Verse 4 paints us that picture of hunting for treasure, seek for, seek for it like treasure. That's the kind of attitude and approach we are to have as we, as we seek to get wisdom. We're to hunt for it like treasure. Um, I, it made me think of uh, the first time we were ever in air. It was actually back in, I think it was either 2017 or 2018. Uh, we came with Zoe's family. We stayed in an accommodation in Minishant, just down the road uh, for one of Zoe's family's um, birthdays. We came into Air Town, and just in case you didn't know, there is a tourist treasure trail in Air. Um, you can get it online. You have to pay a tenner for it. Um, but we did that with her family on the Saturday. Um, I never thought back then that I would end up probably possibly spending the rest of my life here. But that was just a kind of fun, casual treasure hunt. We strolled. We just talked. We dandered. If we didn't find all the clues, it didn't matter. It was just for fun, right? But this is not that kind of treasure hunt. This is an urgent, valuable, life-determining treasure hunt. It's more valuable. This wisdom is more valuable. That's what the treasure is communicating to us here. Wisdom is more valuable than anything this world can afford us. Because wisdom leads to life. Wisdom leads to life. It doesn't just help us to live well now, uh, tomorrow morning. It helps us to gain eternal life. And what that picture of treasure and of inclining our hearts towards wisdom reveals to us is that wisdom isn't just an academic exercise. This isn't just about gaining more information so we're smarter when it comes to tomorrow morning. It's not just about listening. It's not, it's not enough to just sit in these seats this morning and listen to this. It's not just enough to, to learn it. It's not just enough to memorize it. You can memorize the whole book of Proverbs and still not be wise. It's about loving. It's what treasure communicates. It's about treasuring. It's about receiving it in our hearts and then obeying it. Once again, verse 5 brings us back to that key thing that we need in order to get wise. We've been seeing this already. 
It's not intelligence. It's not experience. It's not a good memory. It's a heart posture of humility and fear before the Lord. That's what's required to get wisdom, to treasure wisdom. The heart matters. Fear of the Lord is a heart thing because we need to get wisdom into our hearts, not just into our ears, into our hearts. We see that in in both these chapters this morning, and then we'll see that particularly next week in chapter 4. Here's our problem, though. Our hearts are not naturally inclined toward God. Even as Christians, sometimes, our hearts are not naturally inclined to seek His wisdom, to seek Him. They're not naturally inclined to be humble before Him and fear Him. In our sin, we don't seek Him. In our pridefulness, God is opposed to us. And the reality is, as Johnny read through that passage, we're less like the sun and more like the evil men in verses 12 to 15 and the adulterous woman of verses 16 to 19. So how can we gain this treasure? How can it go into our hearts? How can it get into our hearts? Well, that is possible by going to Jesus. If we want to find the treasure of wisdom that verse 4 talks about, that hidden treasure, if we want to find knowledge that verse 5 talks about, if we want to find the knowledge of God, we must find Jesus. We must go to Jesus first. Colossians 2 verse 3 says that in Jesus are hidden, okay, here's where X marks the spot, in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus sought us out. We didn't find him, he finds us. Jesus takes our sinfulness away. He takes our pridefulness away. And Jesus gives us new hearts. Hearts that are able to then receive his wisdom, to receive God's wisdom and obey his commands. We need to go to Jesus first because we need to be saved before we can become wise. That's the reality of our heart condition. And then with a new heart and with new desires, we can cry out, we can receive God's wisdom, and then we have the help we need to live that out. It's in Jesus ultimately and in Scripture where Jesus is revealed that God has, as verses 5 to 7 put it, that God has given us wisdom, that God has spoken wisdom, that God has stored up wisdom. We become wise when we build our lives on Jesus' wisdom and the whole Word of God. We become wise by becoming more like Jesus. If you want to become wise, we need to become more like Jesus who exemplified and embodied wisdom. And we can find grace in Jesus because we still act like fools sometimes, don't we? So with humble hearts, let's hunt for wisdom in Jesus. Actively, urgently, let's plunder the depths of God's Word. Let's do that with an urgency. Let's do it with our whole heart, with our whole bodies. Let's do it on our knees in prayer. Let's hunt together as a church. Let's do it with the children of this church, both as parents but all together. Okay? It wouldn't take me long to uh, encourage Joseph to hunt for treasure. He loves being a pirate. In fact, uh, my sister's over with us this weekend, and she bought him some pirate swords for his birthday. I just about managed to get him to leave it in the car um, uh, before we came in this morning. 
Let's make sure the treasure that we help them seek the most, though, is the treasure of Christ, is the treasure of Christ's wisdom, is the treasure of God's Word. Let's do that for one another, not just for our kids. Let's make sure that that is the treasure that we are hunting for. Why must we treasure God's wisdom? Why must we treasure Jesus? Well, the rest of these verses in chapter 2 tell us to guard us. If you look down at the beginning of verse 8, what's verse 7 all about? Why do we need to seek this wisdom, treasure it, so that our path, the paths of justice would be guarded and watching over the way of his saints? It's emphasized again and again. If we get wisdom, it will shield us. It will guard us. It will watch over us. It will deliver us. From what? What do we need to be guarded from? What do we need to be shielded from? Three things. We need to be guarded from the wrong path. You see that throughout the rest of chapter one. There's two paths. We'll see this over and over again in Proverbs. Okay, Proverbs is full of repetition. And thankfully, that, that, thankfully it is because we're so forgetful, right? There's two paths here. Verses 8 to 9, there's the path of justice and righteousness and equity, every good path. That path leads to life and blessing. That's what verse 21 tells us. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain with it. That picture of inhabiting the land is an Old Testament picture of God's people moving into and receiving the land. In the land, they would receive blessing and life. For us, that land is now in Christ and ultimately the whole creation when Jesus returns. The path of justice leads to life, but then there's also the other path, the crooked, evil path, verse 12, 15, and 18. That path leads to death. Verse 22, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out. That path doesn't lead into the land. That path leads out of the land. Leads to death. That's what that represents. Eternal death. And two things here we see that would cause us to stray from the right path. We're guarded from the wrong path by being guarded from the wrong people. Verses 12 to 15 depicts these men of perverted speech, whose ways are dark, who rejoice in evil, who are devious in their ways. Okay, we met these guys last week, didn't we? We met these guys last week. Last week was the warning. You're going to come across these guys. They will entice you. But we need more than the warning to deal with them because they're more persuasive and more evil than we think they are. We need more than the warning. We also need wisdom to navigate them. That's what chapter 2 is telling us. If we want to avoid the trap of unwise people, we must treasure wisdom in our hearts. Okay, being street smart, street smart isn't enough. It's not going to cut it because we're more foolish than we think, because our hearts are more fickle than we think. Actually, sometimes what we need protected from most is not others, it's our own hearts. And we will encounter more danger than we think, often subtle. So we don't just need the warning, we also need wisdom to guard us and protect us. The, the men here are representative. They're representative of high school peer pressure, of unwise friendships, of ungodly influences, everything from unhelpful social media influences to friends who'd draw you into drinking one too many. Even family members who would draw us into doing things that contradict Jesus' commands. 
Just a little side note here. That doesn't mean we isolate ourselves from everyone who's not a Christian, okay? Otherwise, we'd never go to work. We'd never evangelize. It's not what this is saying. It just means we do that with wisdom. It means we interact and engage in this world with wisdom that we make sure that those who are closest to us are godly, wise counselors. Guarded from the wrong path, guarded from the wrong people, and then guarded from the wrong pleasures. That's the third danger we see. Verses 16 to 19. Introduce us to the adulterous woman who we'll meet again quite a lot in chapters 5 to 7. Heads up. So what's in view here with her is primarily the danger of sexual immorality, of seeking the pleasure of sex outside of God's design of covenant marriage between a man and a woman for life. But Scripture also presents um, sexual unfaithfulness or spiritual adultery uh, is, is, is often related to spiritual unfaithfulness. So in a secondary sense, what this danger is, the danger that's presented here is also the pursuit of any kind of sinful pleasure that would take us away from following Jesus. Things like greed or gluttony or addiction. But it's primarily here talking about sexual immorality. And here we are warned of the woman's smooth words. Again, the woman's representative. It's not just that women, it's not only women who provide this temptation. She will seduce us with her words. Again, it will be enticing. Let's not pretend otherwise. It will be enticing. She will seek to seduce us. Verse 17, what has she done? She's forsaken her husband, who she's been married to from a young age. And in doing so, do you notice in verse 17, she's not just abandoned him. She's forgotten the covenant of her God. Reminds us, all of us, Christian or not, that marriage is a God thing. It is a gift given to us by him in creation to glorify him. And the union of marriage is not a convenient contract that we can just be along. It's a covenant to be kept. The persistent pursuit of sexual pleasure outside of that covenant marriage, whether in the form of adultery, homosexuality, pornography, getting back into bed with our old girlfriend that we used to date before we were a Christian, Verse 18 to 19 tells us that those things lead to death. For her house sinks down to death and her past to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the past of life. Seeking sex with this woman is like walking into an eternal sinkhole that we will never get out of. That's what verse 19 soberly warns us of. Fathers in the room... Verse 19 is why Proverbs spend so much time in just the first nine chapters warning about sexual immorality. Prepare your sons. Parents, verse 19 is why Proverbs spend so much time in just the first nine chapters warning about sexual immorality. Prepare your sons and your daughters. Sons and daughters, men and women, young and old, everyone. Sexual immorality is a sinkhole that leads to death and hell. Seek wisdom. Seek Jesus. 
Get guarded now. Throw yourself on the grace of God for forgiveness and mercy when you mess up. But there is grace. 1 Corinthians verse, chapter 6, verse 9 to 11 say this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor, nor thieves, nor the greedy. Okay, there's the extension of the principle of spiritual unfaithfulness. Nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such for some of you. But, but, by the grace of God, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There is grace, but we must be guarded. And let's not forget with these dangers, wrong path, wrong people, wrong pleasures, that we aren't designed to face these things alone. We need a collective wisdom the wisdom of the church to keep us on the right path. We need the wisdom of the church to correct us when we begin to stray from that path. Find someone who calls himself a Christian and yet isn't committed wholeheartedly to the life of a local church, and there you will likely and tragically find someone who has set foot on the path of the men of verses 12 to 15 or the woman of verses 16 to 19. Don't let yourself be that person. So we must treasure wisdom to guard us from the danger of this world and of our own hearts. That's what it's designed to do. We must ultimately treasure Christ. In Christ there is grace. In Christ we are being guarded and protected. Okay, the good news of the gospel is that guarding isn't ultimately all down to us. Nothing or no one can ultimately snatch us from his hand. Let me just read 1 Corinthians 10, 12 to 13 to you as well. Sometimes as Christians, we approach these kind of passages, reasonably weighty passages, and we think, I'm, I'm not really there. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 to 13. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to a man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. One of the ways that we can escape, one of the primary ways that we can endure is through wisdom. So let's get it. Let's get it. We need wisdom to be guarded and we also need to trust God's wisdom in all the decisions and circumstances we encounter in this life. That's the second thing we see together. When my heart treasures God's wisdom, I will be guarded. When my heart trusts God's wisdom, I will be guided. Let me uh, read chapter 3, the first eight verses to us uh, together. Uh, Read along with me. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and unfaithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. 
So verses 5 to 8 here in chapter 3 are really the heartbeat of the passage. Okay, no pun intended. They are the heartbeat of chapter 3. Again, there's an emphasis on the heart. Again, there is an emphasis on being on the right path. So chapter 2 was about being guarded from getting onto the wrong path. Okay, here's what you need to do to stop being dragged off the right path and onto the wrong path. Okay, now I'm on the right path. How do I go about walking down that path? Well, chapter 3 is all about the wisdom we need to walk well down that path, as well as what we will gain both now and eternally if we do so. As Christians, we have trusted in Jesus. We seek to obey his teaching. So we read chapter 2 and we think, yes, I feel like I am treasuring Jesus. I feel like I am treasuring his wisdom and and God's word. I've not majorly gone off track. And praise the Lord, that may well be true of you. Give, Give thanks for the grace of God. But then we come up against difficult circumstances or maybe just overwhelmed by so many different circumstances in life or decisions. And what's revealed in our hearts is not so much, am I seeking God's wisdom and treasuring it, but am I really trusting it? Am I really trusting God and his wisdom? Verses 5 to 7 are that call to trust the Lord with all our heart. All of it, not half of it, not three quarters, not just on Sundays, with all of our heart. And notice it's not firstly the Lord's wisdom, but the Lord, the Lord himself. Trust in the Lord. In your Bible, that will likely be all capitals, That means it represents the personal covenant name of God, Yahweh. The God of steadfast, faithful covenant love. He keeps his covenant. Unlike the adulterous woman of chapter 2 who forsakes her covenant. The woman who so often represents us. He is a God who can be trusted. He is a God who does not break his covenant. He's a God who's steadfast and faithful and loving. That means he's a God who can be trusted. That's who we trust in. That's who we are to lean on. That picture is so helpful, isn't it? Because often we feel weak. Often we don't know how to keep moving forward. We need someone to lean on, and the Lord is that person. These verses, though, before they are verses of assurance... They are exposing verses. They expose the fact that so often in life we don't trust the Lord with all our heart. We so often do lean on our own wisdom and thoughts and opinions and experiences. We so often lean on maybe ungodly wisdom, worldly wisdom. We so often think we are wise in our own eyes, aren't we? We so often don't acknowledge him in everything. Okay, it's like, Men who just refuse to ask for directions of where to go, or if you're like me, try to build something without looking at the instructions. So often in life, there's a stubbornness, isn't there? We think we know how to do it. We think we're wise. We think we've, I've done this before. I know how to do it again. It usually, nearly always goes wrong when we think we know best. So we must confess and repent of that mistrust and then in faith trust in the Lord. Lean on him. Lean on Jesus, who is the fullest expression of the Lord's steadfast 
faithful new covenant love. And I think it's no coincidence that one of the primary targets of Proverbs is younger people. Not exclusively, this is for everyone. But younger people. It's in our youth, isn't it? That we so often think that we are wise in our own eyes, that we know it all. Yet true wisdom will always be expressed in a heart that has a healthy distrust of itself, that realizes that we are lifelong learners, hearts that have a humble deference towards God's wisdom and the godly wisdom of others. Um, I, I read something on social media recently by another pastor. Um, he was reflecting on his move into his 30s. I guess as I've, I've made that transition, I was resonating with what he wrote. He said, he said, this was me in my 20s. New is better. I know most theology. Life is easy for most people. Leadership skill and innovation matter. Then me in my 30s. Old is tested. I have so much to learn. Life is hard for most people. Prayer and faithfulness matter. So true, isn't it? And chapter 3 is overflowing with reasons why it is so much better to trust in the Lord and His wisdom. Because of all that we gain now and eternally, why would we lean on our own wisdom? Why would we trust in ourselves? Why would we be wise in our own eyes when what's on offer here is, is here? Look down at verses 13 to 14. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. Verse 2, for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Verse 4, you will get favor and good success. Verse 8, healing and refreshment. Verse 16, long life, riches, and honor. We're not selling ourselves short when we seek wisdom. And we'll see other benefits in just a moment. And just a reminder that Proverbs, we must be careful how we read Proverbs. These are general principles. And lest we think that if we get wisdom, we'll be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous all the time. Okay? If you think that's the case, just get ready for verses 11 to 12 in a moment. And to cap all the benefits off, verse 18, this is the eternal aspect of the gain that we get. Verse 18 says this. Wisdom, that is, is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Where do we see the tree of life in, in the Bible? Well, we see it, first of all, in Eden. Genesis 2. But then Adam and Eve thought they were wise. Adam and Eve thought they were wise in their own eyes. They didn't lean on the wisdom and knowledge of God. The tree of life eventually would have given them eternal life. Instead, they chose to reject God and were banished from the garden in Genesis 3 with no access to the tree of life. But then in Revelation 22, verse 2, the tree of life turns up again in the new heavens and the new earth. Who will get access to it? How will they get access? Those who are in Christ. You and I can gain access to the tree of life the tree of eternal life through the one who died in his body for our sins on a tree, a tree of curse, a tree of death. 
when we turn from our sin, when we turn from being wise in our own eyes and turn to Christ, we once again get access to that tree of life. That's what verse 18 is saying. That the biggest gain from wisdom is this, eternal, everlasting life in the presence of God our Father in the new heavens and the new earth, eating and enjoying the fruit of the tree of life. But we're still not there yet. Still not quite there. We're still on the narrow way. Verse 18, though, saying that if you gain wisdom, if you walk in wisdom, if you obey Jesus, there's a sense in which you've already taken hold of that tree. A sense in which you already join the fruits of that tree. That's how good wisdom is. That's the gain. And then in verses 9 to 35, we now see how trusting God's wisdom guides us in various areas of life. We're going to look at several different areas here. And what we're going to see is that trusting God and His wisdom is most acutely revealed and required in the following areas. Firstly, when we trust God's wisdom, it guides our spending. If you look down at verses 9 to 10, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with vine. So if we're trusting God's wisdom and we are guided by it, it will be evident in how we spend our money. And in July, I'm hoping to preach a further sermon from Proverbs on money. We're to handle money wisely. That means handling it righteously, gaining it righteously, giving it righteously and generously. Okay, we don't dodge taxes. We don't steal. We don't cheat the benefit system. We earn honorably, and then we honor the Lord by giving back to him. It means when we get our monthly paycheck, verses 9 to 10 tell us that our first and primary concern should be how we give to the Lord. Our first, that's what first fruits means. It means that we give the best to him, the first to him, not the leftovers. So let us ask ourselves, is our giving to the Lord of, of our resources the last thing we consider? After we've paid for our clothes and our holidays and our mortgages and our car payments and our meals out and our entertainment, if we really trust the Lord and his wisdom, it will be the first thing. We honor the Lord, the Lord, okay, make sure we, we know there is honoring the Lord, not me or anyone in this room, it's honoring the Lord. We honor the Lord practically with our wealth through giving to the work of the gospel in and through the local church. By meeting the needs of other members within the church, practical needs, and also be, by meeting then the needs of our neighbors, particularly the, those who are in most need. That's how we practically give of our resources to the Lord. That's how we honor him. In the New Testament, we're called to do this generously and sacrificially. And let me just say this, as we come to the end of year two of our church plant, as we enter year three, if we want to, and I say we, me included, if we want to be a fruitful, viable, sustainable gospel ministry in this town for future generations, all of us must consider how we are obeying verses 9 to 10 within this church and within this context. Within this church and within this context with the resources that the Lord has given us. And often we hold back from the Lord, don't we, because of greed, but also sometimes because of fear. We fear we won't have enough after we've given. But trusting on the Lord and leaning on his understanding with wisdom, it'll look different for everyone. 
frees us to be generous because the general principle of verse 10 is that when we are generous towards the Lord, he'll give us all that we need to live for him. When we're generous towards the Lord, he will give us all that we need to live for him. We often withhold from giving because we don't want to lose money, right? Verse 10 tells us that if we withhold it, actually it does the opposite. And it's no mistake that money is the first thing up here because where our treasure is there, our hearts will be also. That's why verses 9 to 10 come after verses 5 to 8. Many of us quote Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 as our favorite verse, and rightly so. Don't stop doing that. Let's just make sure we're all prepared to follow through with its implications. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Verse 9 to 10 tells us that the first all your ways is how we honor the Lord with our money, with our resources, with our time. And it's followed closely by verses 11 to 12. Okay, you got it? Okay, maybe you want to pick a new favorite verse. Guide our, guide our spending, and then when we trust in God's wisdom, it guides our correction. Verses 11 to 12, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Trusting in the Lord and leaning on his wisdom and not our own guides us in how we respond to discipline and how we respond to difficult circumstances. It should lead us to not despise it. Discipline can come in many forms, trials, Trials of different shapes and sizes, some more painful than others, some more prolonged than others, but all designed ultimately to make us wiser, to make us holier, to make us more like Jesus, to create genuine character and faith in our lives. That's why we shouldn't despise them. The Lord's discipline serves to prepare us for our eternal destiny. And discipline reminds us, actually, that God loves us. Because as verse 12 says, the Lord reproves him whom he loves. Discipline reminds us that God loves us. He cares about the outcome of our faith. This doesn't mean there's no room for lament. It's just a reminder that in the midst of discipline, we are loved and that God still delights in us. That's what verse 12 tells us. Trusting in God's wisdom guides our money, our spending, guides our correction, and it also guides our desires. Let's look back down at verses 13 to 18. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than the gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. So trusting in God's wisdom also guides our desires. When we, when we trust and lean on the Lord's wisdom and gain his wisdom, our desires change. We learn to love and, and see his wisdom, his ways, his word as more valuable than anything this world can afford. We will see that gaining wisdom, that gaining Christ himself doesn't compare to anything else we can gain in this life. It guides our spending, it guides our correction, it guides our desires, and trusting in God's wisdom also guides our confidence. Verses 19 to 26. 
hey, Lee, you're calling me, God's words calling me here to trust in the Lord and his wisdom. Give me reasons to be confident in that. We've already looked at the fact that he is the Lord of steadfast, covenant, faithful love. Verses 19 to 20 tell us that the wisdom that we're called to trust in is the wisdom that created the world. It's the wisdom that created the world. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. Okay, that's the kind of wisdom, wisdom you're trusting in. That's how big and powerful God's wisdom is. That's why we can be confident about God's wisdom. If his wisdom created the world, then surely his wisdom is the only way to live correctly and then confidently in this world. And this confidence should increasingly lead us to track with me here, verse 23. This confidence should increasingly lead us to be secure, to be steady. Wise Christians are steady Christians. To experience sweet sleep, verse 24, doesn't mean we'll never have a sleepless night. But as we seek wisdom and as we gain it in Christ, we, will, we should increasingly live confidently in this world. It means we should increasingly not fear judgment. Verse 25, do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. We have no judgment to fear and we will be safe. Verse 26, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. See how wisdom makes a difference? See how wisdom changes things? Lastly, it guides our relationships, verses 27 to 32. When we trust the Lord and lean on his wisdom and understanding, it will guide us in how we relate to others, especially those closest to us, our neighbor. It will lead us to be responsibly generous to them, verses 27 to 28. It will guide us to not harm them, verses 29 to 30. You might think to yourself, I've, I've never hit anyone. I've never done anything to harm anyone. Maybe you cursed your neighbor behind their back in your kitchen just this weekend. Or you've avoided them because you can't be bothered with them. Be responsibly generous to them, not harm them. And verses 31 to 32, not envy them. If we have all we need in wisdom, if we have everything we could ever imagine or need in Christ and in God's wisdom, why would we be envious of our neighbor? Why would we be discontent? See how wisdom changes our relationships? We do good to others. We don't harm them and we're not envious of them. We should not envy them either because verses 33 to 35 awaits them. Love for neighbor is one of the key outworkings of love for God. Wise Christians should be the best witnesses in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, and in our town. And then lastly, trusting in God's wisdom guides us into grace and blessing. That's what verse 33 to 35 tells. The end of chapter 3 sums up, really, we're trusting the Lord and not being wise in our own eyes will 
yet us. Those who humbly trust the Lord, honor him and live a righteous life will be blessed and be shown favor. Those who don't will be cursed, scorned, and will get disgrace. The call to get wisdom, to treasure it, and to trust it are not take or leave it invitations. The good news for fools like me, for fools like us, is that Jesus came and humbly took that curse upon himself. The curse we deserve, he took that upon himself on the cross so that we might not know disgrace, but grace. So that we might not know curse, but blessing. So let's get God's wisdom to guard and guide our lives. Let's seek Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, in whom we find grace, in whom our, our, our curse is lifted, in, in whom we can get new hearts so that we can treasure and trust God's wisdom. And let's seek that wisdom urgently and humbly together, given the dangers we face and the decisions we face on a daily basis. Loved ones, God has not left us without help with how to live in his world. He's not left us without wisdom to do so. So let's not walk by our own wisdom. Let's walk by his. It's the only true way to live. It's the best way to live. It's the way that leads to eternal life. And it's the way that leads to blessing, both now and in eternity. Let me pray for us. Father, we give you thanks for your wisdom, which you so graciously give us and provide for us ultimately in Jesus. Wisdom that's given to us with an eternal measure of grace, which we so desperately need. Father, I pray for my own heart. I pray for our hearts that you would be at work to guard them, uh, to guide them, and to help us treasure and trust you with all of our heart. Forgive us for when we don't. And by your spirit, mold our hearts to love you and to fear you and to trust you. In Jesus' name.